Before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk about vision and hafuch vision. Hafuch is a word that means upside down, and it's a great Hebrew word, and other forms of it mean to turn something upside down, or to overturn it, or to reverse it, or to change it, or to shift it in some way. And when we're reading the story of Joseph, it's good to remember two things that, that Joseph's take on life was shaped by God's take on life, not just by his circumstances. And there are two reasons. One is Joseph had chazon. Say that word with me, chazon. It means prophetic revelation, God's perspective on something that allowed him to see life differently than other people would see life without it. And Joseph had something else that I would call hafuch vision or hafuch chazon. It's not good Hebrew, but it'll do. Upside-down vision, the vision of seeing things upside down. He saw how God could get his hands on situations and circumstances and turn them upside down in order to turn them right side up. And he saw that God would turn things upside down, things that were meant for evil or for harm, and cause them to be useful for God's purposes. So in this week's Torah portion in Genesis 50, you can turn there, starting in verse 19. Joseph is talking to his brothers. They're afraid of how he's gonna treat them now that their father has passed away. And Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And then verse 20 is what I wanna focus on. You meant to do me harm. You meant to do me harm. That was your intention. But God meant it for good, so that it would come about as it is today with many people's lives being saved. Now, it's interesting that that Joseph could have both sides of the understanding. You meant to do me harm. What you did was wrong but God turned it upside down to make good. He brought good out of your evil plans. So you meant to do me harm, God meant to do me good, so today God wins. That's what he was telling them. Guys, you lose, God wins. The good news is you're not in trouble now. You've been rescued. God didn't deliver you from starvation and destruction in order to destroy you. He delivered you in order to save you. And what you did that was meant for evil purposes, God got a hold of, and he transformed it, and now it's being used for good, for your good too. Now let's go back to an earlier passage where Joseph is expressing much the same thing, Genesis chapter 45, and it starts in verse four. 
And this is that moment when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And, and remember, he looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He is culturally now an Egyptian. And he is the prime minister over Egypt. And he has been talking to his brothers without them knowing who he is. And he's been talking in Egyptian through an interpreter. They've been speaking in Hebrew through an interpreter to him. And then he gets everybody out of the room except for his brothers. And verse 4, Joseph says to his brothers in Hebrew, please come near me. Now that's disturbing all by itself. But they did so. And then he says, Ani Yosef. I'm Joseph, your brother. What a shocking moment. And just to remind them which Joseph, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. (laughs) You know, as we're reading it, and because we know how this story develops and how it turns out, it it does have a funny side to it. Right, And I think that that sense of humor is embedded in the text, it's in the scripture, because there is a lightness that you have when you know God has gotten his hands on something and he's overturned the evil intentions and plans and now he's bringing good out of it. And so he speaks in Hebrew and I'm sure It was a scary moment for these guys, especially when he said, the one you sold into Egypt. It's like, rats, I was hoping it was the other Joseph. (laughs) No, it's this one. And now, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves that you sold me into this place because it was to save lives that God sent me before you. Now, this is so interesting because it shows Uh, how Joseph got God's take on his life. You did this, but God was doing this. It's almost as if there's a parallel universe going on. One is the universe of evil intention. The universe of, of... the old Adam and fallen nature, the, the universe in which people plot to do evil against one another and even against God. And then there's this other universe, and it exists in the same space and even in the same time, but it's the universe of God, of God's purposes being accomplished, of his plans being accomplished. And so Joseph says, you sold me into slavery. That's what happened. No denial of the facts here. But God sent me ahead of you. Okay, so, so what actually happened? Both. Do you see that? Both happened. Now, sometimes believers like to um, deny what happened and deny facts because we're afraid if we say what really happens that it'll jinx our lives. It's a superstition, I believe. We're afraid if we say the truth about a difficult situation that it'll get worse, not better. But I don't think that's the right perspective. I think the right perspective is you can tell the truth, but you want to see things from God's perspective. 
And Joseph is a great demonstrator of it, but we'll see others as well as we're studying together. You sold me into slavery, fact number one. God sent me here ahead of you, fact number two. You thought you were in control because you were able to do this, but God was in control because you did it, and then he got a hold of it and turned it upside down, right side up. God sent me here ahead of you so that lives could be saved. And it was their lives, but it was also lives of Egyptians. Let's go on to verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve you as a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Therefore, now here's the the perspective. Therefore, it wasn't you who sent me here, but it was God. But you did send me here. And you did sell me into slavery. And you were dirty, rotten brothers. (laughs) But, God got a hold of everything. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God, who has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You sent me here, but I didn't really come here because of you. God got a hold of my life, and I'm here because I'm where God has placed me. I was reviewing some of my high school years and I realized that God used some difficult circumstances in my life to redirect my life so that I was on a different path. And I thought that the difficulty recognized was something serious that was a permanent issue. But I found out only uh, a few weeks ago that it hadn't been. Yeah, I'll tell you the story sometime, but it had to do with long hair and high school and a new uh, principal at the high school and new rules and all sorts of things. It's an interesting story. But as a result, I went in a different direction. I went to a different school, I did different things. But it was only a few weeks ago that I found out that the very thing that set me on that course got changed after I left. Yeah, and it happened because I saw a picture of two high school buddies at prom, and they had long hair. And I thought, wait a minute, we went to proms together. How could they have long hair when it was against the law? And so I wrote one of them. What year was this? And he said, senior year. I said, no way. I'd already left. They changed the rule? It was like, yeah, they changed the rule. And I had this moment. Well, what if I had just been more patient? And then I realized something. If I had been more patient, I never would have met Sandy. I wouldn't be married to my wife. I wouldn't have my kids and my grandkids. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be a believer, I tell you that for sure. Because without her, that never would have happened. And so, what I thought was a serious directional issue 
really was something God had gotten his hands on. I was seeing it one way, but God knew what he was doing. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If I had known how it was going to turn out, I would have suffered through one more year and stuck around and missed everything I've experienced. I mean, you wouldn't be here. Uh, Because I wouldn't be here. So I don't know who would be here. But no, we wouldn't be here because Sandy was the one who found this building. We wouldn't be here because only because of the direction we went on in life did we connect with Rabbi Yuri. We wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. You'd be somewhere else, too. And so when I had this thought, you know, a back to the future thought, if you can just go back and change, you know, if that DeLorean would just fly to the right place and and you could change everything to fix this one part, I thought, no way. No way would I do that. Because I love my life. I love what God has done. Now, I'm like you. I don't like all the details of everything that's been hard. But I'd rather have gone through those than the other life I could have had. How about you? Are you glad God got a hold of your life? And did, do you know what it means to be lost? I, I do. It means two things. You don't know where you are, and you don't know how to get to where you need to get to. So I met that condition of being lost. I don't feel lost anymore. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, I am so lost in life. I hope you don't either. Because if God has found you, you're not lost. He knows where you are. And he knows the good plans he has in mind for you. Plans for good, not for harm. Now you might be looking at the difficulty you're going through, it's real difficulty. You might look at the sorrow that you're experiencing, it's real sorrow. I don't want to minimize any of that. And I don't think Joseph was minimizing any of it. That's why he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into slavery so that the brothers could at least feel it. It's like, ah, ah, golly, ah, ah. I can imagine them, you know, like getting on their knees. It's like, ah, ah. Now, I want to compare this to some other moments in Scripture so you can see that this follows a a kind of pattern that God uses, that he'll turn things upside down. So in the book of Esther, chapter 9, verse 21, it talks about how the Feast of Purim um, was instituted And it says in Esther 9, verse 21, that it was agreed to establish among them an annual celebration on the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the days on which the Jews had rid themselves of their enemies and the month in which their sorrow had turned or overturned to joy. 
and their mourning had been turned into a holiday. So you've got two things. You've got sorrow, real sorrow, and it's been flipped. It's been overturned into joy. And you have mourning, real mourning, and it's been flipped or overturned into a holiday. And he wrote that these were to be days of feasting and joy, of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. And so the Jews agreed to continue the custom they had started as Mordechai had written to them. And so there's a new holiday, a celebration, because God overturned things. It was a day meant for evil and destruction, but God overturned it. It, it was a hafuch moment. And now it's a day of rejoicing and fasting and joy. And even the whole idea of Purim spiels is it's a day to laugh, even at the evil plans of the enemy, as serious as they are. And so we celebrate Purim with joy. We send gifts to each other. We send gifts to the poor. That's our custom. We remember. We celebrate. We're not lost in the tragedy associated with this. Why? Because God overturned the tragedy. So when you have genuine tragedy in your life, understand this, God can get a hold of it. And he can overturn it. The psalmist in Psalm 30, verse 11, experienced the same thing. You turned my mourning into dancing. You flipped it. I was mourning, now I'm dancing. You peeled off my sackcloth, I like that, and you clothed me with joy. Now, how, how does it all work? Uh, Paul tries to distill the principle in Romans 8.28, he said, God causes all things, all things. So you know what that means? Thing, things good, things not good. Things meant for evil, things meant for good. God causes all things to work together for good. So in other words, there's a parallel universe, right? The whole universe is going in a direction. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, it's important that we grasp these two details because it's not one condition, it's two conditions for those who love him. So when you're going through difficulty, remember this, hold on to your love of God. Don't let that weaken at any time because your love of God connects you to the parallel universe. Second, hold on to the purpose of God, the ultimate goals and the aims of God. Don't think that this moment is the conclusion. It's just the middle. The conclusion is defined by what happens after God gets his hands on everything and fixes everything by flipping everything he has to and turning it upside down if he needs to. Two keys, love God, stay focused on his purpose. And Yeshua modeled this for us and he demonstrated how it works 
when he laid down his life as an offering for us. And so let's go to John chapter 10. Verse 17. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay my life down in order to take it up again. Verse 18. No one takes it away from me. I'm not a powerless victim here. On the contrary, that's a phrase to really get in your heart. It goes with hafuk. Upside down and on the contrary. On the contrary, I lay it down of my own free will. I have the power to lay it down. You see, this is a secret. Joseph understood it. He had the power to to see things God's way. He had the power to forgive his brothers. He had the power to embrace God's working through the difficulty. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. I'm not powerless. I'm doing this in the power that God has given me. My human power, my autonomy, but the divine power that he gives me through his theonomy. That's a good word. Theonomy. It means the rule of God in our lives. So it looked like the death of Yeshua was a tragedy. The Romans thought it was the end of the one who claimed to be king of the Jews. They thought they got rid of the troublemaker. Yeah, I mean, it's very serious. If you don't grasp this, that Yeshua was viewed by Rome as a big troublemaker. And Rome always, Rome reminds me of Russia a bit. You know, Americans think you, you go like A, B, C. Russia goes like this, A, B, Z. Thus, Crimea is now Russia, as an example. Because <laughs> everybody was thinking, oh, they'll only do a step-by-step thing. Wrong. Rome was of the same mind. You oppose Rome, it's like, oh, come here. You're dead. That's it. John 19, verse 2 and 3. Soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on Yeshua's head, dressed him in a purple robe, and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. They mocked him this way. So you think you're king of the Jews, you're dead. You think you're king of the Jews? We've stripped you of power. We're humiliating you. And Yeshua warned his disciples, no one's taking my life from me. Understand this, I'm laying it down. I'm laying it down on on the basis of my free will to do the purpose of God. Matthew 27, 
Verse 37, they put up over his head the written accusation against him. This is Yeshua, king of the Jews. So others were thinking Yeshua's death was only a tragedy. Even his disciples thought it was a tragedy because Yeshua failed to vanquish the Romans. He didn't usher in the Messianic kingdom as they expected it. But the Lord knew that Yeshua's death was the plan of God to provide an atoning sacrifice that would be effective for everyone, at every time, everywhere. Everyone who puts their trust in him will get the benefits. And it was just in time, right before the whole temple system collapsed, right before it was destroyed, right before there was an end to temple-centric Judaism, just in time. I think to Rome and the Jewish leaders who sided with Rome and to Hasatan, the execution of Yeshua probably seemed to them to be their victory. But God had a hafuch moment in mind and he overturned every evil plan, and that's what Yeshua was saying. He was bringing good out of Yeshua's death. I believe that resurrection life is the manifestation of God's success in overturning the power of sin and death in this world. Yeshua's resurrection is the demonstration of God's victory over the destructive work of the enemy. And we're to take comfort in his resurrection. And so I want to encourage you, take comfort in his resurrection. Take comfort in this overturning that Joseph experienced. Take comfort in the Purim overturning. Take comfort in the psalmist who experienced the overturning of God. Take comfort and celebrate the history of God overturning evil plans in the past and in the present and in the future. And as you lay hold of this, and as you can say, God, you did it for Joseph, I see it now. You did it for Esther and for the Jews of Persia, I see it now. You did it through Yeshua. I see it now, then you know what? You can look at the difficulty you're going through differently and understand there's a parallel world. Which one do you want to be stuck in? As for me, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So I live in both universes simultaneously. But I can tell you this, it's only a good universe because I know I'm in this parallel one where God gets a hold of everything and turns it for good. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. If he could do it for Joseph, he could do it for you. What do you need? Eyes to see. To participate in this process, there are really five things you've got to get a hold of. Number one, to, you've got to put your trust in the Lord and love him. Don't allow difficulty and tragedy to, uh, to destroy that confidence you have in God. Number two, we, we take hold of the importance of Yeshua's death and resurrection. He rose from the dead 
in order to demonstrate the victory. Three, we focus our hearts and minds on Yeshua and what he has accomplished. Four, we pray and trust God for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you're going through something difficult, when your brothers sell you into slavery, say this, Lord, not my, not my will be done, but your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you doing in heaven, Lord? Do that here on earth. The fifth thing, we hold on to God's ultimate goals and aims, the great purposes of God. Like Joseph, we keep a Kadima attitude. We look forward to what's ahead. We refuse to be lost in the sorrows of the past. And we refuse to fall into despair about the sorrows of the present moment. Like Mordechai and the Jews at Purim, we remember that God overturned Haman's evil plans and turned what would have been a time of great loss and sorrow into a day to be remembered forever, a day of deliverance and a day of rejoicing. And like the psalmist, we sing that God has turned my mourning into dancing. Do you remember Rabbi Victor's message from last Saturday? If you were here last Saturday, you, you do remember this. And he concluded his message with a dance. And he sat down right here in order to demonstrate what happens when you feel sorrow and disappointment and loss. And then how things change when you realize that God is a Hanukkah God, that he can get a hold of things, and he can reward us, and we, he can renew us and restore us. And he started dancing. Well, I had the thought, when he said he was going to do it, I filmed the whole thing on my camera. I did, just for fun. And I didn't even get a chance to review it before I made the decision to post it on Facebook, but I did it anyway. I just put it on Facebook. Now, here's the most amazing thing. Thousands of people have been watching that video on Facebook, more than any video I think we've ever posted. Thousands, I mean, when I checked earlier today, it was like 4,600. No advertising. We didn't pay for anything. You know, like it wasn't boosted. If those of you who know what that is, it wasn't. And not only that, but there was no real introduction to it. <laughs> um, but it's been shared so many times that people's friends, friends, friends are now seeing things, and I think it's just going to continue to grow. So here's here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're on Facebook, go to Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue page, look at the video, and then share it on your own page, and let's just see what happens. I have the feeling that somehow Rabbi Victor's dance is going to be seen by over 10,000 people when all is said and done. It could be more than that. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you can overturn evil plans. Thank you that we can live our life knowing that. And you can turn our sorrow into dancing and our mourning into joy. Thank you, Lord, 
for all that you have accomplished for us by the death and the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua. And let resurrection life change the way we think about this life and this world we're living in. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Even when we were at the rabbi's conference, people would say, when Victor dances, you know, fill in the blank. <laughs> when he dances, oh. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.